Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Learn From Gaming Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we dig into our favorite games and discuss just how ridiculous that intro was because, wow, I fucked it up. Um, for those of you joining uh, and for who have been counting our episodes, this is actually episode 25, and this may be one of the messiest intros I've ever done. This is Jan- This is not January. Holy Christ. This is June 6, 2018, and we are going to keep all of this and we're going to do it live. Uh, so my name is Chase Strollenberg, and I'm joined by Stu Gritter, and you could say your name, Stu. How are you doing today? <laughs> Very well, thank you. You seem to be in good form this evening. <laughs> oh, yeah. Top, top, top shelf. So um, joining... <laughs> Today's a special day, Yeah. and because it's so special, um, we're, we have a special guest, and our special guest comes all the way from the museums of uh, Gaming History 101, and this is Mr. Fred Rojas. Fred, how are you doing? I'm doing well, but it was very hard to not laugh during that whole intro. <laughs> no, I, I was hoping one of you would laugh because I kind of deserved it. That was that was a oh, long yeah. show. No, it was good. That it was, was good. something else. Yeah. I was biting my um. tongue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so audience members, if you've never been here before, then wow, what a treat. You got to listen to me swear within the first 30 seconds. Um, but uh, the, the point of this podcast is uh, to find the intrinsic educational value in our hobbies uh generally video games but uh today is going to be a little bit different today is actually our magic the gathering special so we are also going to be talking about i mean we're probably going to dip into a lot of video games but we're also going to be talking about just like the educational value of a game like magic the gathering a collectible card game the strategy of building decks um but also the social aspects like what it was like to participate in in things like a draft or even just face-to-face regular games or large uh multiplayer games stuff like that so um could get a little interesting if uh, magic the gathering is your thing you're probably going to enjoy this episode if it's not you might find it educational and it'll sort of open a few doors into the weird world of collectible card games um so uh before we get started uh the the next section is going to be what we learned this week so uh, we can talk about a few news stories and just some weird stuff that uh is related to gaming um but uh did anybody want to talk about anything right off the top before we jump into that segment no I, I nothing 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 unusual <laughs> okay cool yeah. fred did you want to say anything before we start uh just getting into the meat of the show no, I wish I could, but I did, nothing comes to mind. I'm sorry to say, it's a little quiet this week, given next week. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's calm before the storm. Yeah. Okay, so then let's uh, let's jump into what we learned this week. So this is the segment of the show where we discuss things we learned about gaming this week, or in our case, Stu, this month. Mm-hmm. Uh, so learn this month. Let's let's go with that. So Stu, you and I love tech and gaming, and so does Fred. Um, so if you, the listener, ever want to hear us discuss one of, uh, like an article that you're interested in, be sure to send it in at learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. And not a lot of people take advantage of that. I'm worried that someday somebody, like, we're going to get like 10 in a row for a single episode, but uh, so far we've only had one or two. So, um, so Stu or Fred, I will open up the floor. I actually have something to talk about today, but um, did either of you bring a story or anything you want to talk about that was interesting that you learned this week slash month slash whatever? I've got a few things, so I'm good to wait 
and just make sure I don't steal anyone else's. Okay. Fred, what do you got? Uh, I, I didn't come too prepared, although this present company, based off of previous episodes I've listened to, uh, I did want to ask you guys a pretty specific question based off of, and it is video game related, but it's based Perfect. off of something that I have been wondering a lot. And I think you two are the ones to answer this question. Oh, bad answers. Here we go. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> I need to preface this with it's mildly based off of rumor and speculation. Um, but it, it, it's we, in, we dwell in the darkness. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah it's, what in, it's in regards to uh, Fallout seventy six. Hmm. So okay. this this is a game that got announced. Um, but as is the case with a lot of games that have this week been announced for E three, um, Bethesda, the publisher slash developer, is being incredibly cagey as to the nature of this game. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the the most specific thing that has come out is Jason Schreier over at Kotaku, who is well known for his ability to dig up um, information on, you know, video game development because of his many, many connections throughout the industry, uh, has basically come to the deduction that uh, this will be a loosely online based game with heavy survival concepts. The mm-hmm. analog he points to is Rust, but you can really insert whichever game you wish, be it Conan yeah. or Ark or whatever. So my question to you guys is pretty straightforward. Let's assume for a minute the rumors are true. That's what this is. This is a roughly based survival MMO with PvP. Mm-hmm. Do you think that gets closer to the nature of the original Fallout, or does this is this a step back? And I guess what I would ask is, the fans of Fallout 1, and I know I'm talking to two of them, it, does this does this get, is, is this the right direction, or is this the wrong direction in 2018? Oh, that's that, that's kind of tricky. Um, I... It really depends on the way they handle everything. In that, if if this does turn into a kind of survivally community building thing, um, it could find a way to embrace uh, the original, the first two Fallout games, and kind of their spirit in a way that some people think three and four hadn't. Um, Mechanically. I think it's a departure from the series in general. I think that's kind of hard to argue with. Uh, follow mm-hmm. Tactics might be like the the one in the series that maybe is emulated a little bit in that sense, but uh, and that have makes we me seen go anything that represents gameplay. Uh, that no. will all be revealed at Bethesda. I don't think I so. can guarantee you of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the the only thing I can say is um, if it is what it is rumored to be, which is like this survival community building sort of thing, uh, very similar to, to Conan. Um, with the only analog I've ever played that was like that in spirit mm-hmm. um, was EVE Online. And I don't know a lot of people oh. who have played EVE Online, um, but uh, those who have, like, you have stark memories of it. Like, there's there's a very cutthroat 
sort of uh, nature to that. And it's something that nobody's ever really captured in a, a third person setting, right? It was always just sort of the, the, the in space kind of setting that, that made it work. If they could make, and I think Conan was sort of stumbling towards it, but I'm not sure how well they're doing. Yeah. If Bethesda could actually pull off an EVE Online that is just like like you're a person instead of like a, a an immortal spaceship driver, um, <laughs> yeah. that would like that would be a lot closer to the actual spirit of what Fallout could be. Um, but then, like, there's so many questions, right? I mean, the one oh, yeah, thing yeah. that they've actually done, which is a little out of, like, in, in in the cycle, you wouldn't want to speak to it at all. But they did. I think they I think they saw some backlash from their community. And I yeah. just wonder how many of those people were fans of the original because we're getting so far removed that you don't know anymore. Um, yeah. But what I was seeing was, uh, I don't remember if it was Ted Price or somebody else, but basically they said, this will have missions. This will have traditional RPG missions. You go on, you can go alone, you can do this, that, or the other. And I said, well, yeah, but that doesn't really answer the question now, does it? Right? Because I can do all those things in the environment we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I, I think part of the... Part of the charm and the original spirit of Fallout and why it developed its following came from that very open world with consequences. And you made your character however you wanted and you behaved however you wanted and the world, by and large, seemed to react in a sane way. And <laughs> I think if it's it's a bit of a trap to get hung up on Oh yeah, they're they're going to be different towns. They're going to be spread out. There're going to be random encounters between them, and there are going to be quests, and there there's going to be equipment, and you can get companions, and and getting caught up in those mechanics rather than actually kind of seeing the whole spirit for what it was uh, is kind of I don't know. It's, it it smells to me a lot like what Blizzard did with StarCraft Two, where on launch it was kind of floppy. And it took a little while to really gain some traction because they spent so much time on the math and trying to recreate the StarCraft spirit mechanically and mathematically. Yeah, no, I totally get that. And I got to say, like, you guys have previously talked about um, playing the original Fallout. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's something I, I own. I definitely own. I've just never gotten around to playing it. And, um... And it, it, I've always been intrigued by that. And so that's where I started to say, is this going to be the first survival MMO to convince me to get online? And I guess that's where that conversation that starts. <laughs> yeah. And again, I apologize because <laughs> at this point, like, you know, we're we're days away from finding out the truth. Um, and, but and purely yeah. conjecture, yeah. But if we get lucky and that's really what it is, this conversation yeah. actually holds a little more weight then. Um, which, which is why I just figured I'd bring it up, but it's definitely yeah. been the thing that's been on my mind is like, you know, to put it simply, do I care about fallout 76? And I guess I don't know yet. And maybe I need to play fallout one to find that out. Mm. I don't know. Maybe. Um, uh, it's a, it's a valid question that I'm still asking myself. I never got into fallout four though. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I played a lot of fallout three, um, but I definitely never touched four, so I'm not 100% sure what direction um, it has been taking. I heard a lot of people really liked four, but... 
see to me i i spent over a hundred and i think i got to like 138 hours in fallout 3 on um and i played the 360 version uh fallout 4 yeah, i played on so pc I. and i'm at about 25 hours and if you want yeah. my gut anything they can do to veer closer to three and maybe even closer to those origins because you guys talked about this already but wasteland 2 made a promise that didn't really hold true to um but uh i i don't mean to scratch an old wound (laughs) i really don't but like that was the problem um yeah and so that said uh i i feel that there was a misdirection with fallout 4 uh there's an early mission set with um detective uh, i think it's nick valentine i know his last name's valentine that's mm-hmm. really in the spirit of it, but large quantities of Fallout 4 missed like the point. Yeah. yeah, they they definitely missed the point that Fallout 3 did manage to capture. Um, so, uh, which was just like kind of like Stu was saying, this idea that and and again, Fallout 3 doesn't capture it as well as uh, I've heard one and two do. But this idea that you are you, and you go and you find places organically, and you go, okay, suddenly I'm faced with making a decision about something I didn't even know existed five minutes ago. And once I do, the response is immediate, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. dare I say it, I actually, here's the popular opinion. Dare I say it, new Vegas was really the best direction for that whole thing. And the best hybrid I've played in a modern day. And, uh, I, I would be lying if I said I wasn't a little saddened when obsidian was reached out to and said, you have anything to do with fallout 76. And they were like, no, <laughs> Yeah. You know. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. I guess the um, the only other interesting thing, lore-wise, from that universe would be that it's entirely possible that, um, like there were a number of different Fallout shelters in the world, mm-hmm. and each one was hypothetically like a different kind of science experiment. So there could be a number of like Fallout seventy six could be um a specific kind of vault that had something going on so they could do 53 or number six or number whatever or if you know and kind of build up some of the 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 world that was going on and they could really do a lot of interesting like branch into different mechanics or even game genres with that kind of world behind it well, and just to prepare you guys for that, I don't know if you played much of uh, 3 New Vegas or 4, but 76 is constantly discussed. It was yeah. the Midwest vault where something unique about it existed. It's it's referenced many times, mm-hmm. but we don't mm-hmm. know what that was. Hmm. So, anyway. But that's about it for me. Okay. <laughs> Cool, cool, cool. Well, I mean, you know, like it's, yeah, it's one of those conjecture things. It's something to think about, but we will have a more solid idea when we uh, get through next, next week. episode. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically. Um, so, Stu, what did you mm-hmm. what did you have on? And also, Fred, thank you for bringing that up. Sure. Um, I wanted to mention the, a couple episodes ago, I mentioned a psychology article about improving gamers' behavior that I hadn't read and wanted right. to dive into in earnest. Um, I finally yeah. did, and the information that I got out of it was it paled in comparison to the old uh, GDC conference, it was, which was done in 2013 by Riot Games uh, about modifying their behavior. It, it kind of covered some of the same things. I just found the GDC presentation was, 
it's a 25 minute thing on YouTube, so it's going to take a bit more time to read than uh, that article, but I'll throw them both in there. And I've, I think I've talked a little bit about that behavior thing before, so I don't want to go into it now. Um, yeah. It's, it's dealing and coping with toxic players, right? Yeah. And, and what, or trying to reform them. Yeah. And what, what systems designers can do to kind of, try and push players to be better to each other rather than being shitheads. So right. it's, yeah. th- there's some interesting stuff in there, but, um, but that, the article wasn't worth it is what you're saying. Yeah, it was, well, it's, it's quicker to read than the, the, the link. I'll, I'll ship them both in the, the show notes, but, um, the, the GDC thing is more informative. It takes a bit more time to get through, but vastly more interesting, I think. Okay. Um, then cool. there was, uh, since we, <laughs> we were even talking a little bit before about dead star, um, yeah. <laughs> Wait, what evolve game? is shutting down. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. So they've announced a bunch of that and blah, blah, blah. And ha ha ha. It's funny to me. I don't really care, but <laughs> if, <laughs> okay. if, if you, if you bought evolve and you, you well, haven't if, played if it you'll... much, you might want to go do that now. <laughs> no, no, actually, you'll be you'll be happy to know. Well, or maybe you won't care to know uh, that that the uh, most of the multiplayer stuff will still exist, still intact. Yeah, it's yeah. it looks like they're stripping out a bunch of the ranked. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But more importantly, if you guys don't mind me doing my GH101 thing for a split second, Gibber, <sighs> I, I believe yeah, the ahead. developers Turtle Rock. Um, and the idea that these were a couple of modders that came up with this really cool idea. And, and you'll have to excuse me because I was very active in the games press world. Like I actually had a quote unquote games press job at the time that Left 4 Dead 1 and 2 came out. There was, especially the first one, there was something just so unique and magical. And especially as they slowly unveiled what that game was. And as you slowly mm-hmm. watched people, it, this kind of goes back to your previous statements, Stu, where you could be a, a dick in Dead, er, in Dead Space, in Lost for, er, Left for Dead, but yeah. it, it never benefited you, <laughs> right? And the second anybody... Ever. No! The second you thought... Yeah. The second... It was like the game knew. The second you thought about going Lone Wolf, yeah. there would immediately be very yeah. violent consequences. Yeah. And just the way that AI director was just the perfect jerk um, so many times. So many times, because you would say every time you die is turn a corner, you're like, here comes the the big, I forgot what his name was, but the big tyrant guy. Every time you turn a corner, you'd say, here he comes, the brute. And he would only show up like one out of every 50 times. But every time it happened, it seemed like so destined. So, yeah. And, and, And so to see that team, right, that I thought was going to literally usher in the next concept for cooperative play and ai development get thwarted and and kind of put on the same level as dare i say the very lackluster gun games development of friday the 13th and i say that as a (laughs) avid friday the 13th fan uh that broke my heart in a million pieces and then spit on it um There's just something that just is so kind of gut-wrenching about it. And again, it's no one's fault. It's not the critics' fault. It's not the developers' fault. It's not the publishers' fault. It's not gamers' faults. But to just watch something like that fall apart, it, it just is just a little 
disheartening, I guess I would say, because people don't like if you weren't around for the Left for Dead phenomenon that was like, what was it, 2008, 2009? Like it was yeah. a thing and it was a thing for a good solid year where yeah. like it was like my Friday night, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and there was something so enchanting about it. Yeah, we uh, we actually um, <laughs> a little known fact, there are a bunch of videos of Stu, myself, um, Matt from alcoholics uh, unanimous and uh, our friend dan playing through that um on on youtube somewhere and we like uh we played two we played through two mm-hmm. and it was a little after the craze but like i was right there yeah. ground floor for left for dead one <laughs> yeah. um like loved that game so much and left for dead two i remember i i didn't want to pay for left for dead two at first because it just felt like it, it felt almost dirty but it ended up being like such a great game totally and they ported it. everything yeah. yeah they ported everything over to it so that was even better like all the other levels right. so well um and i reviewed yeah. uh, left for dead two and i remember the scariest thing was going into uh, a phone call with my editor and saying you know i think i'm going to tell people this is a justified purchase and he goes really like we didn't think that was the direction that would go <laughs> and that, and how, how like that was a push and pull for a while. And again, yeah, I don't want to over dramatize yeah. it, but right. Like you are correct. Like that was the criticism. It was a tough sell. It came shortly afterwards and it was a full retail so release. shortly after. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. It was a tough sell. It was, it was hard. Yeah. It was, it was hard to justify. Um, but it ended up being a solid game. Um, like they, they each stood on their own and eventually two just consumed one yeah. and you could play them both in, in that, uh, engine, which was really nice. Um, but, uh, yeah, interesting, interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, where are we going yeah. now? Um, the, the only other bit of news was that, uh, Star Citizen has their, Legatus Leg- Pack for $27,000. I know. Oh my I know. God. I know. I know. I love it. You, you're not even allowed to see what's in the package unless you've spent $1,000. Okay, for anyone who doesn't know, there's a real possibility that people don't know what Star Citizen is. No, yeah, Star capitalism. Citizen is, is a game. Crazy, eh? I love it. That uh, has been crowdfunded for uh quite some time now yeah. um do any players actually have access yes. to assets in the game yet can you even play the game yet yes i yeah, have access yeah. to the game i have a press yeah. access um so i didn't spend any money uh but yes you have press access uh and there are various other people who have non-press access um yeah. who paid their way they have access they can get on their digital ship I don't know if everybody oh. who's bought a ship can get on their digital ship, but I was able to get on my, you know, Hugo. Um, Not so fancy ship. No, no. I have a Volkswagen yeah. Jetta, um, but oh, uh, nice. but I was able to get on it and see it. And I think I can take it into space, but I don't know if I can do anything once I'm there. Yeah, it's it's been a while since I, like, I, I backed it at the lowest possible ship having level in the yeah. original kickstarter so i have access to ever like as much as they've released i've like a couple years ago i think <laughs> feels like ages i flew around and like did a little bit of pew, 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 but it wasn't really much uh i don't i haven't checked in a long time so i don't know what's currently available but it's relatively real right but has it hit something like a release no no 
<laughs> in fact, Not the single close. player was getting close. That right, they were supposed to release a single player, they, they, yeah. and then it got and scrapped. They, they had announced it. I remember it came into the news recently, but yeah, I haven't seen anything about it. Yeah, no, that that's in trouble. Like the single player portion is in dire straits, but I don't think a whole lot of people who are spending large sums of money on Star Citizen give a crap about the single player campaign. Yeah. No, they want to they want to engage and be the top dogs. Yeah, they're the whales of the multiplayer. It's capitalistic that Eve. Yeah, 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 they're, like, yeah, they're, yeah. yeah exa- exactly. Um, wow, that's weird. So weird and interesting, but also weird. And it's um, it just I want to know how many of those packs sold i want to know so badly i know like <laughs> if if nothing else comes out of this um i want a data mine of all the stats yeah of yeah. the uh on release how many behavior. of these ships yeah yeah and uh, the closest we might get is like in six months we might see oh you thought you had everything but now you got to check out our fifty seven thousand dollar <laughs> yep DLC. Oh, they'll <laughs> totally do it. Like, oh, it they would surprise me. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. That is so bad. That is so I bad. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> um, so speaking speaking of bad, I have one one item that I would like to share. Because I guess we aren't allowed to talk about good news. No. <laughs> um, so let's talk. Uh, we, we touched a little bit on Sesame Credit. Uh, a little while mm-hmm. ago mm-hmm. and the the recent yeah. Um, yeah. implementations of travel restrictions placed on Chinese citizens uh, that didn't score high enough on their Sesame credit. Um, so uh, like without breaching uh, NDAs of any kind uh, or jeopardizing my job, I can confirm that my employer is starting to use an application called Bamboo. Um, and what Bamboo is, is it's something that you latch on to your own personal social media, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter. Um, and what it does is you get to uh, curate stories that will be released that are corporately relevant um, to to your employer. Um, and on the back end of this, there is a tracking system that gives you a score based on how much you participate and engage with, uh, with corporate assets. Um, (laughs) and Uh. it's only a pilot right now, but the second I found out that there was a score, I realized that there are going to be analytics and I realized that whether people want to acknowledge it or not, these scores are going to matter on a corporate level. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This has kind of happened already. In the tech sphere, we had, um, oh, I don't know how many years ago it was, but there was an app, like a service called Clout, and it measured your, like, your Facebook likes, your Twitter followers, your Instagram followers. I I don't know if Instagram is out yet, but it was designed to... Like you would plug in all your usernames and get a clout score and that would be like your social media influence. And there was a brief period of time where when people were looking for jobs, uh, hiring managers wanted to know your clout score because they, huh, because because if you're in a small or medium-sized business, you're always considered the front face, right? So you, right, you have right, yeah. to be able to influence people around you and blah, 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 all that shit. <laughs> wow. It was yeah. really neat. Well, and I mean, the, the reason why I'm, I'm scared of a system like this is because I am not, uh, d- despite what it might seem like on this podcast, like I'm not an outwardly 
um, loving, caring, uh, gentle, yeah. nice. Well, no, yeah, you're funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, uh, no, like I don't publicize a lot of stuff. I also don't like. I keep my work stuff mostly private. I keep my private yeah. life even more private, yeah. right? Um, and to 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 start really exercising promotions like that to me feels like somebody's got their hand inside me. It's exploitative. Yeah, it's basically just pushing them out of me because they know that if I don't do it, my score goes down yeah. or doesn't doesn't improve. Um, and like it just it feels so icky. And like I'm I'm concerned. I have concerns. Um, but yeah, it's if anybody doesn't understand what uh, Sesame Credit is, extra credits. Uh, the YouTube um, there's a YouTube series uh, that they've got an episode on it and it's just all about the actual implementation of a social scoring system that is being used in, in China today. Um, and we recently covered that article on how people are having, uh, their rights to travel banned based on the, uh, how low their, their, their scores might be because they're just not taking it seriously. Um, yeah. So, Hey, uh, that's where we're at. Does anybody want to follow up any of that? Uh, well, any any feelings or thoughts? What I have to say is, as as somebody who works in the tech sector of a more conservative, I don't even know if that's the right word to say, um, world. I, I'm I'm in the the healthcare slash research educational healthcare, but like I'm on more the business end. So I should I should point that out. Like we are associated with a educational system, but uh, we are definitely a functioning hospital. Um, and uh, and I, I'm not that secretive about it. Like uh, nothing I'm saying here is, is problematic, but like the people who are high up on our corporate structure would never even to me be interested in metrics of this of this this type and i guess that's what what surprises me so much is uh one that anyone would be interested not that there's not value in the information quite the opposite but also that um to the point that like i don't know i guess i would say that in hardcore corporate america as i've seen it especially from a conservative standpoint Nobody cares about you as an individual or what you think. <laughs> yeah. Yet. Yet. Fair. Fair. Right? Um, once you can actually start scoring every single one of your employees, um, then it becomes significant. And then you don't have to care about the individual per se. You can just fire based on on scores. If somebody doesn't hit a threshold, why do you have them in the company? You can just cut them, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think some of that also comes down to you know like uh we our our company is releasing a new model of this product everybody go post this on facebook go post on twitter you know take a selfie and, and instagram it and that's and, what and they get want stuff like that's out. what yeah that's what this bamboo is supposed to be right yeah. like um uh the the sector that i work in we are actually sort of the, the the top of our game we're like one of the the best um at what we do and the problem is we are really bad at self-promotion, um, which I guess is weird because I am also personally self like bad at, at self-promotion. Um, so 
uh, one of the things that they're doing is they've initiated this this sort of bamboo push uh, to get you promoting this stuff in every single avenue you can, just mm-hmm. saying like, hey, look at what we're doing. This is why we're great. Um, and uh, I, I don't know because, I, I, I mean, from a marketing standpoint, it makes sense. The more voices That's you it. have shouting something, uh, I don't know. Where's I your, was tar- it, like, see, I was where's your target demographic? Like my, my, it, it's, yeah. it's, my they, friends they and really family are not to my push target demographic. Like, yeah, right, but the the see, see, I was in the sales nature for of a what long I time, do. And the, oh, sorry, continue. Okay, yeah, the, the 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 type of business that I'm in, it's very um, incestuous. So, like our like mm. the, the people that we're selling to are the people that we work with. Um, mm-hmm. on a regular basis. So LinkedIn is where this stuff needs to happen. Um, and it's where this stuff needs to be communicated because not only can the people that we work with on a regular basis see what we're doing, but additionally, like people who we will be promoting to or trying to sell to, everybody has a LinkedIn account now. Um, so the, the more activity that they see, the more positive press that they see for us, uh, the, the, the more appealing it is. So that's where this comes from. Well, and like I said, the 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 biggest concern I have uh, is um, when we were in sales, and again, I, I was in sales, and my degree is in strategic communications. Um, it, it's kind of not just ethically, but from a realistic standpoint, from the the realistic response from basically human beings when somebody is so callously or obviously self-promoting uh tends to be negative distrusting and things like that and so yeah that's yeah that's the that's (laughs) the problem like right it almost seems like an insult to your intelligence what you don't think they're gonna know what i'm doing why you're doing that yeah yeah well and and this is where i um i actually pumped the brakes and i talked to one of my coworkers about it um and I brought, I said, this is, and okay, uh, we might get a little bit of shit for this when I say it, but this like, this feels like such a Facebook generation thing to do. <laughs> yes. Right? Like this is, this is, you see a lot of, um, cause I've worked with, I've worked with a few people like this. Like th- these are people, uh, this type of activity, it, it comes from people who can't understand the ramifications of their own decisions. And so like, they're actually some of the worst workers you will ever encounter because nothing is ever their fault. And it's always either the world's fault or somebody else's fault. And they can never figure out that the common variable is themselves. Um, And so like when you look on their Facebook, when you look at any of their social media profiles, everything is peachy and they're the best at what they do and everything is great and everything is awesome. And it's, it's not like, like it's not Lego the movie, but like, I don't know. Everything it started about sounding is, a lot like it, <laughs> <laughs> but like they, they, they're really good at self-selling. And so like they end up getting jobs that they're underqualified for, and then they end up underperforming and then it's not their fault. Oh, um, don't I know this? Yeah. I've, I've dealt with that story recently. Uh, but, it's it's like one of these it's like one of these people got into the corporation that I work in sold this concept and now this is how our our um our mark or how we are 
like and got involved in policy creation. Well, so exactly. Like you can't this. you can't do much at this point. And it, yeah. And I the thing is to me it's not a big surprise because we've given people these social tools and they're used to seeing their own life and curating it and curating the highlights and showing people the very best and creating this false <laughs> image. And when it comes to getting a job, of fucking course they're going to do the same yeah. thing. And these are tools that they've cultivated to a, a, such a high degree that, that generations before never had the chance. So they see this kind of stunning, sparkling, like beautiful image of a person that's going to be perfect for everything forever and yeah it turns out it's shit (laughs) yeah that's how it's gonna be not (laughs) to get too techy oh sorry continue give her i sorry Stu. i didn't mean to cut you off all good no go ahead well i was gonna say not to get too techy but i was talking to my boss today and i was like yeah this person got a job as an, an analyst and that's that's fine like i'm not criticizing that and i said but uh i started talking to them about um about a uh a crystal report crystal's a database mm-hmm. search engine shall we say it's the easiest way to define it um and it's kind of like a a very bare bones version of uh, of sql which is a much more efficient way of of scanning a database and this person knew nothing about either um and couldn't get basic metrics on stuff (laughs) and um and believe it or not they were engaging me in a conversation about how underpaid they felt they were because they did a google search on what the average um uh silicon valley analyst (laughs) makes and i i said well for starters you're in kansas city so let's just lay that down let's rein that back a little yeah second of all i don't think you would last five seconds in a in a business on silicon valley if you didn't know sql let alone um crystal um and to be clear neither of these systems are easy they are incredibly difficult to navigate in my opinion uh, in my humble opinion um mm-hmm. but uh but yeah and i was it, it was right and i was like how did this person get their job and my boss is kind of a realist he's a very down-to-earth kind of person and he was just like because uh, he convinced somebody he could do it and i said well mm-hmm. what if i'm convinced that's he the- can't do it and he goes that's a much harder conversation <laughs> <laughs> And he's right, right? Like, you can tell. Like, he already is saying, I'm not going to engage in this. Co-. You know, like, I'm not going to help you on whatever path you want to take this to. You're welcome to try. Um, and, it, and it sucks, right? Because he's my he's my research analyst. <laughs> he's, yeah. When That's I meet metrics, yeah. like, and again, I can do it myself. Right. Like I know Crystal well enough. Mm -hmm. And so I can do it myself. And that's exactly what I ended up doing. And I don't really care that much. But again, right. Let's let's get back to bare bones what you're talking about here, Chase. Like um, if everybody's a working machine and everybody runs an assembly line and somebody puts the door on the car and somebody puts the tire on the car and somebody puts the, the hood on the car. If somebody's not doing their parts, there's inefficiencies across the board, and it, it is discouraging. Mm. And yeah. I feel like more and more today, I'm meeting people who are really charismatic, and I, uh, I, I, I value charisma. Like, don't get me wrong, but at the same time, it, we've lost sight of just 
can you do what we need you to do? Yeah, yeah. You're filling a role here. Your job is a function. Yeah. Make it go, please. Yeah. Can you put the tire <laughs> yeah. on the car? If you can't, I don't really care how good you, how how nice you are about it. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> So yeah, yeah it, it, it touched a little close to oh, home when yeah. you were talking about that because I was like, you know, that <laughs> just happened. It, There's it, some yeah. dude working for me who convinced somebody he was what he is not. Right, yeah. and that like, and that's where the scuzziness comes from. From this, I'm not, I'm like, I'm not. In no way am I trying to shit on my parent company, um, but like it's it's and uh, neither am I. To be that clear. has always been yeah yeah that mm-hmm. has always been the concern about self promotion for me. Um, so yeah, and I guess uh, I'm and, a little I mean, jealous because I'm not as good at it. <laughs> <laughs> like if you ask me in an interview, be yeah. honest. Do you think you could nail every single thing that could ever happen? I don't have the balls to go. Yes. Yeah. I'm ready yeah. for the apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And somebody can. Yeah, some some folks can. Oh. But you know what? I think I think we're gonna we're gonna swerve. We're gonna swerve, and we're gonna get to uh, <laughs> we're gonna get onto something else. Uh, there's a little bit of bluffing involved, um, and uh, a lot of money. <laughs> so let's uh, yeah, yeah let's yeah let's shift into Magic: The Gathering. So uh, now we're gonna shift into what we learned from gaming and the game that we want to talk about. Today, the one that you've been waiting, um, well, close to 40 minutes for, (laughs) is um, Magic the Gathering. So, um, for anybody who doesn't know, Magic the Gathering is a collectible card game. Um, And it was, uh, well, actually, uh, it was so funny, we were talking about this a little earlier. It was created in 1993 and uh, according to wikipedia thank you wikipedia uh, like it was created by richard garfield that's that's not a surprise um but we we were actually starting to discuss like when we were getting into the game and it was surprising to realize that um i only got into the game like a year after it had, had started getting um, produced so in 1994 but I, I want to before we all like get into our stories which I'm sure we're actually all dying to tell um, I want to uh, sort of touch on the core mechanics and if anybody wants to tidy things up they're they're more than welcome to so for anyone who doesn't know a um, a collectible card game is a it well I mean uh, for for anybody who's been following us uh, the loot crate is a really good example of this this sort of procedure and it is you are given um, in a collectible card game you're given the option of buying either the entire set of cards or um, if you know how to do it not everybody knows how to do that or buying boosters and boosters come um in magic the gathering in particular boosters come in 15 card boosters so you buy a booster it's 15 cards and there are certain rules applied to each one of these boosters every single one of those cards is random but there are certain levels of rarity uh for each card so there are commons uncommons and rares and sometimes there are also legendaries but those got introduced a little bit later um and isn't ultra rare also there's mythic um, like the, rare the, the, now yeah mythic yeah, rare, like mythic yeah. rare um 
but uh, the, the 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 meat of of play is usually like the commons, the uncommons, and the rares. Um, so out of those fifteen cards, you will get so many commons, so many uncommons, and then I I believe it's one rare. It's eleven, um, three, and one. Yeah, three and then one. Um, so then. Uh, yeah, uh, it's always random. Um, there's no way for you to accurately predict what it is that you're going to get in each booster, and that is where the money is made. Uh, because <laughs> if there's a specific card that you want that you know is in a set, if you are not as smart as Fred Rojas, you buy boosters um, <laughs> instead of instead of just buying the entire set. Um, so. Uh, the, the, the core mechanics of Magic the Gathering is you collect cards, and from those cards you build the decks that you will play against your friends or um, competitively, depending on what sort of scene you want to get into. Um, now, to, to put it in easy terms, there are a number of different types of cards. We're not going to get too deep into it, but um, just to get to the fundamentals... There are resource cards that you need to put into play, and they are referred to as lands. And during your turn, you can put one land out onto the table, and then you can choose to tap it, which is where if you put it face or if you put it face up and facing forward towards your opponent, if you just turn it and you announce that you're tapping it, that is the action of tapping it, and that will that will basically activate the card you can use the resources off of that card to bring other cards into play um, and once you are done uh, tapping or doing whatever it is that you're doing like you, you can put creature cards out um, by using your resource cards and then you can attack or cast spells um, and then your turn ends and it moves on to the next player so we're not going to get too too deep into the actual um, uh, the actual behind the scenes of how, how this stuff works um, because more of what we want to get out of this is is the ex experiential stuff. So, um, I'm just I'm trying to think well, of you how we can sort of shift into. If you wouldn't mind, in, can I mention one this. other mechanic that's significant for magic? Yeah, go, go right And ahead. this is very yeah, macro. Right Again, I'm not getting bare mm -hmm. bones. Um, <clears throat> one of the most distinct things about magic that was distinct back then, and I think still holds true today, and this will be probably easily. Uh, or easier identified when you compare it to other digital, shall I say, card games of the time, like Hearthstone and various other competitors, yep. is Magic is a game more, in my opinion, about setting out a goal and being able to react proficiently against the behaviors of your opponent. Whereas it's been my experience, and this may be mildly reductive, that with a large portion of card games and definitely the case with hearthstone is you do not have a whole lot of involvement in what your opponent is doing in fact in hearthstone you have almost zero involvement you can literally walk away and make a sandwich during your opponent's turn because you are not allowed to do anything <laughs> yeah. whereas with magic if your opponent smiles the game pauses and it goes, okay, okay, do you need to do anything about that? He smiled. Did you see him smile? Are you going to do something? Okay, okay, you're not? Okay. I'm going to make him drop his entire hand. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and uh, that has always been the carrot on the stick and something that I've not 
other games have done it. Um, but it is it has always still been the big draw is that I've always taken issue with the fact that almost no other game concerns yourself with reacting to your opponent's behavior and being able to have a tool set to react to your opponent's behavior. Whereas magic has, I, like I said, it's it's not just important to do the task of your deck. It's also important to know how to respond to your opponent and you have to make some difficult judgment calls as to prioritizing. Is this something I'm going to allow to happen or is this something I'm going to do something about? And it's a, it's a, that simple decision will forever be the dip, most difficult decision you will make in magic. It is you will never know whether or not you're making the right decision until <laughs> it's over. And yeah. that's the best part of it. That's what, that's what keeps me going. It's that it's that element of kind of poker, absolutely, sort of yeah. thing going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> hmm. So you know what I think? Well, we'll we'll peel things back a little bit. Let's talk about like so we can talk about colors, um, <laughs> because it's a little bit relevant in how you built your deck. So uh, there were, uh, there are different color cards for the game. And there are also different uh, types of land that will produce the colors required, like the color resources required to produce or t to cast the spells that you get in your hand. Um, so the colors are white, blue, black, red, and green. Um, and what's interesting is Wizards of the Coast, which is the, the company that has... has um, is involved in publishing and producing magic has done a really good job of basically creating aesthetics and uh, concepts around each of these colors. Um, so white, you think of purity, you think of law, you think of healing, um, you think of peace. Um, and uh, so like things like clerics, uh, lawmakers, police, um, healing spells, protection spells, stuff like that. That all goes into into the concept of white. Blue is a little more complicated <laughs> in that it's it's about intellect, reason, illusion, uh, misdirection, manipulation, trickery. Um, also, air and water um, control. Whereas, yeah, whereas white is is about holiness um, as well. So, um, and blue. Uh, for, just because of the the sort of aerial aspect is also sort of about uh, flying, but yes, control is a very big part of of what goes on with blue. So where white, you might see some um, some very like it's about healing, maybe also doing a little bit of damage, but um, also protection and making sure like it, it's a little easier to maybe wall up and turtle up with white. With blue, it's all about manipulating. Um, or fooling your opponent or getting your opponent to do stuff that they usually wouldn't. It, it's very much the the higher sort of intellect way to try and play it. Like maybe other people are playing just a creature deck, um, so they'll put out a bunch of monsters. But if you're playing a blue deck, <laughs> just straight blue, you have a way of either moving those monsters around or turning them against the people who are putting them out. Um, or even just stopping them from coming out entirely. Like there's, I mean, that's that's something. Sorry. Well, go ahead. like dare I say it? The the reason it's called control is because you literally nothing happens on the board. If you're playing a blue deck effectively, nothing happens on the board without your 
consent. consent. <laughs> yeah, I, that's the yeah. best yeah. way to yeah. put yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's really tough to nail. But at the same time, while you're busy trying to control the board, um, like you said, and a, a, a white deck and one of the most famous and oldest white decks is the white weenie deck the where a bunch weenie. of small things come out and become a, a force to be reckoned with. A white weenie deck yeah. will mop the floor with you while you're busy trying to control the board. So again, there is that balance there, I have to say, even if mm-hmm. there are yeah. higher levels of play. Yeah. Yeah. So then um, like next up is uh, everybody's... <laughs> favorite or least favorite uh black which is um very much it's sort of like dominating almost some of some of it some of the way that it's played is like brutal so it's also ambition like you're willing to gamble to get what you want uh it's associated with the element of death with illness with corruption selfishness amorality and sacrifice and sacrifice is a really big part of how people will play black decks you'll actually have spells or creatures that allow you to sacrifice other parts of of your own force to enact some of the more powerful spells or just like ruin your your opponent's day (laughs) um and it's it's a very interesting color um, and it definitely fits the motif. And uh, Wizards of the Coast has always been very good at, at, at I mean, for each one of these uh, these types, has been very good at creating the archetypes and the, the spells that really fit the aesthetic. Uh, real um, quick, I just want to point out, and this was only because it was relevant when I was a kid, um, Black also yeah. has demonic undertones. So there was a friend of yeah. mine who, whether it was good or bad, um, he was not allowed to play Black decks. Uh, his parents disagreed. Yes. Uh, demonic tutor yeah. had the devil Yeah, eye. pentagrams are literally horned beasts, pentagrams, um, sacrificial circles, bloodletting. These yeah. are all... And, and, and we, uh, well, Fun. I'm getting ahead of myself, but the cards themselves have very descriptive, really quite beautiful paintings. Yeah. yeah. And they can be visceral. And so, and some of them have, yeah, uh, interesting flavor text on them as well. True. Yes. True. There's, yeah, there's lots of uh, intellect and appreciation for the arts in every magic card. And so yeah. the only reason I bring it up is because there were people who weren't allowed to exercise their interest in black uh which it can be a hell of a spell (laughs) right and and what goth kid can't relate to that you know so (laughs) yeah yeah and and conversely at the same time there are people who kids growing up decided they wanted a career making art for magic cards and like the art of some of those cards would have been what drew them in and it's it's fascinating it's really cool um yeah so the next color uh just uh, just trying to power through mm-hmm. uh the next color is uh is red so red represents um it's kind of weird so uh, barbarism but also freedom uh chaos passion creativity impulsivity fire in particular fury <clears throat> warfare lightning um and there uh, also sort of like haste and first strike so this is this is a uh, one of those um burn fast mm-hmm. burn quick but burn hot. chaos and impetus uh, yes yeah um you would see uh creatures like goblins 
pop up a lot in in uh, red factions because they're cheap, they're easy, and they're usually disposable. So not the same kind of sacrifice concept as black, whereas um, like you're actually killing your own stuff. For red, like you're just they're like the goblins are fodder. Um, like you're not killing them yourself, but you're throwing them at everybody because they're chaotic and that's what they do. Um, and very impulsive. Um, and so that, that was sort of the mindset for red, but red also had some of easiest access to very destructive spells. So spells that would just dish out raw damage for the cost of, um, of tapping your resources. So tapping your land, um, or destroying somebody else's stuff at the cost of tapping your land. Um, and that, that was, that's something that other factions, they have, it usually comes to them at a cost or they can't even do it. So um red has always been very powerful in that respect and then the last color that we've got is green now green um green shares a little bit with white i've always noticed this and that uh, recovery is a big deal but not just recovery green is is a little more so it it focuses on nature it focuses on and this is important evolution adaptability ecology interdependence there were a lot of green cards that would build off of each other instinct so like the 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 nature of things and um also interestingly indulgence um so uh how like green cards sometimes they would heal but another way that they that green creatures would grow so instead of gaining life back green had really easy access to buffs so you could improve the the life stats of of a creature by basically increase increasing its damage or attack um and there was a lot of that in green also an ability called trample where um if you attack with a creature if another creature stood in front of it basically the damage it was doing wouldn't go through so regardless of how the damage played out it wouldn't go through but with trample the damage would go through oh here's here's a concept we haven't explained yet every single player is considered like an avatar and if you take too much damage you lose the game now the damage that you start with uh your total damage points is 20 if 20 goes down to zero you have lost and that that's just the traditional format for for magic trample meant that if there was a monster guarding a monster another monster with trample if there was any carryover damage it would go directly to you so you would take that damage um, and green had a lot of access to that ability. So it, it, it sort of represented like a rampage that you couldn't stop. <laughs> yeah. Um, if, um, if I could really quickly, uh, interject on one point, I, I do think the biggest distinction between green and white is that green was always synonymous, uh, to a certain extent, as you've been saying with life. So green was yeah. more about you could lose life, but there were ways to recover it back. Whereas white wasn't really as much about gaining life as it was about preventing. Once the life was lost, it was yeah. lost. But green, nothing was was for sure. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out, as you were describing trample and and that concept, was that unlike a lot of uh, unlike a lot of other games. You could not, a, a creature of yours could not engage another creature of theirs. You, it's like Red Rover. You send your creature yeah. over and your opponent decides how to handle that, whether it be with their own creatures, with a spell, or just full on taking the, the punch to the chin. And I think that's something right. distinct about it as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 
Um, I think the last yeah. the last distinction I want to make, just because we're wrapping up the colors, is the the land types. Those resources that you get, the land types are a little bit telling about the the flavor of the the color as well. So yeah. the white land is a plains, whereas the green land is a forest. So that they're kind of they're, there's a bit of a different feel to that, right? Black was swamp, red was mountain, blue was island. So they they all kind of have. It's not just a generic resource thing that you're pulling in usually. Um, you you had a specific color, and you could make decks that used different, like more than one color at the same time. But um, yep. just th- those th- those colors of cards, their their <laughs> land type was iconic, I guess. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking we're getting to a point where we've we've covered some of the basics. So let's start talking. Can I about, mention one last thing? Um, Yep. Which is yeah, because it's significant. I'm sorry, you're rolling your eyes probably, but colorless artifact. Yeah, it yes, is kind of a well. sixth yeah. one. Right. It, these are colorless, meaning they they are. It's inconsequential what color mana you're using for them, but the they. I think it would be too much of a conversation to discuss the the complexities of an artifact, but more importantly, um, artifacts were as specific as they were non-specific right they don't they 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 are the only cards in the set that don't identify themselves by their color that's not the purpose or the nature of their abilities they are kind of clean slates that are able to do whatever they want and and in many cases especially more recently um they there is a camaraderie that now comes together with artifacts where as even early on with sets like antiquities which we'll probably talk about which was an an artifacts focused set they were still disjointed they were independent contractors shall we say they weren't linked that often together whereas now they kind of have Mm. a a connection and camaraderie much like you were talking about with either white or green where cards you know kind of uh, enhance each other that's that's been more of a common theme as of late uh, and the only reason that matters is because artifacts are you know kind of that sixth tier um but yeah 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 but yeah yeah um no i i do appreciate that so yeah thank you um all right so i'm thinking let's uh let's go round robin um let's talk about how we encountered this game each of us um and then how uh sort of what we've taken from it so like just uh something that we took away from it so fred you are the guest um i'll let you start then Stu, you can go after him and i'll close off if that's all right sure all right. Well, um, so I've actually, uh, and maybe I was—I I don't know where everyone else starts, but I started pretty early on with this game. Um, the first set to come out was known as like the core set, and there were a couple versions of it. Appropriately named and probably better known nowadays with video game culture and things like that was Alpha, Beta, and Unlimited. They were all the same set, um, but Unlimited was the first one that was kind of designed for 
to my knowledge, um, mass export. <laughs> and I grew up in a sh- suburb of Chicago. We went to a, a card shop and uh, they had Magic the Gathering. And uh, just to give a little background, um, I had always wanted to get into Dungeons and Dragons. I had heard such fabulous things about it. I had purchased my own monstrous manual and just looked at things like the Beholder and the Lich and just imagining these things coming to life. But then I went and played Dungeons and Dragons with my cousin. And you guys might be able to offer some insight. I don't know the rule set we were using, but if you want a good time period, it was circa 1992. Um, and they met at like a, a Sheridan in like the, the, the banquet room. <laughs> and it was a bunch of teenagers. Oh. Yeah. And they, they had like asked this Sheridan if like on Wednesday afternoons they could, after school, they could use it for D&D. And they, Fantastic. the person was just like, yeah. So they would get together. And uh, I remember there being tons of, this dates it too, Jolt Cola involved. And um, we sat down and played. Well, um, it was mostly made up of chaotic neutral rogues which is a very complicated Holy form smokes. of Dungeons and Dragons if you've ever played yeah. it. There's lots of abilities to keep track of. And when someone enters a room, things escalate quickly. Um, there's lots of things to do. So, like, I was playing with them, and I was just like a level one paladin, which is kind of an easy way to start the game off. You're like a traditional warrior, a knight, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so... When I would play, like, yeah, we would enter an inn and one dude jumps into the shadows, another dude checks for traps, another dude is rolling a dexterity check on various things. And I'm like, what is, this is very complicated. I didn't know what was going on. And I'm like, what can I do? What's my special ability? I roll a d24. And they were like, you're a paladin. Just say hi to somebody, you know? And so I didn't, I got rubbed the wrong way early into D&D. And if I were to guess, I would say I was doing AD&D, probably rule set three. Um, but, uh, but it didn't click with me, is the point. So we walk in and they're, they're, they're all playing magic. They're obsessed with Magic the Gathering. Okay, like in this, to, to put it into perspective, we weren't paying attention to Mortal Kombat on the Genesis anymore. That was a big deal. <laughs> that was a, yeah, that, that will date a somebody right now when I say that. Um, and uh, and 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 we were like, "What is this?" And they were say, they said it was poker meets Dungeons and Dragons. That's how it was pitched to us. Oh, um, and I remember seeing the art, and I'll never forget to this day. I'll forget the artist, but I'll never forget to this day looking at um, the Drudge Skeletons art, the original art for the Drudge Skeletons in Unlimited, and going, this looks cool. And, like, when you look at the cards, like you were talking about, uh, the the symbols for the mana, they are all distinct, and they've never Mm. changed. I love that they've never really changed. They've integrated new versions of it, but it's, again... Black will look the same in Unlimited as it does in the most modern set, Dominaria. And yeah. there was something so awesome about that, right? Like there was there was this 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 notability about it. And the fact that on the back was Magic the Gathering and the, like the art looked kind of like a leather-bound version of Lord of the Rings, which is the best reference point I had. <laughs> and there was nice. just something cool about it, right? And they all had matte covering, right? They were like those nice you know, poker cards that my grandparents had from Vegas. And it was just very cool. And I remember them, uh, I I remember looking at them and saying, this is just really crazy. You know what I mean? And uh, I remember right when I was there, a dude 
just you know because they worked at a comic shop this was this was a place called hometown it was in mundelein illinois and it was just a it was a comic shop that had that sold candy which was great and i'm sure the candy made more money than the comics and we were there picking up rope straws they were just long sour chewy sugar covered things and they were amazing and we were just in there picking those up and this dude i'll never forget him cal big cubs fan uh, again, we were in the suburbs of Chicago, and he just just reached his big old paw into the box of Magic: The Gathering that was sitting out on the on the shelf. Because if you've ever seen these, there's usually big glass cases, a la baseball cards, <laughs> and they repurpose them yeah. for Magic, and then they just put the boosters out there. This was before people thought about like grabbing them and running out the store. And Cal would have beaten your ass if you dared try it. But anyway. <laughs> He just reached in there and just opened a pack. And I remember he flipped through and he he went straight for the rare. And see, nowadays the rares are identified. They have a gold symbol on them. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, you had to know what they were. Like you had to look and figure it out. And we knew all the sets inside and out. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen today, but it doesn't happen with me today. But back in those days, I knew the sets inside and out. And I remember right in front of us, while we're getting introduced to magic and we're looking at a bunch of commons in a a starter deck, um, he goes, Shivan Dragon, baby! And he pulls it up, and Shivan Dragon was a red... (laughs) fire-breathing dragon yeah. it was very powerful in the original <laughs> set and it was like the end all be all of human existence granted those that have been playing magic for a long time there were multiple thousand dollar cards from nowadays tens of thousands of dollar cards like moxes and lotus and dual lands yeah. and all kinds of stuff that were in there but we didn't care about those the shivan dragon was king you know like mm-hmm. i could have seen myself trading an ancestral recall which is like a 15 thousand dollar card for shivan dragon which is like a fifteen dollar card in a heartbeat had i had it happened um and uh and when he pulled that shivan and he showed it to us and it looked so cool and the art was amazing and uh and he he just had so much pride about it um to the gambling folk, like, that's awesome, right? You just bought a $3 pack, and suddenly there's this amazing card in there. Treasure. But, right. But to me, it was just like, oh, man, there are coveted parts of this game. And if you know how to gain those cards and wield them, there's notoriety involved in this. And that was very positive to me and again i was kind of a ragged on kid i was i was a turbo nerd before that was like cool and so like there was something to be said for that it was like maybe over here if i could make a good competitive deck i could give these 20 somethings that i thought were really cool a run yeah, for their yeah. money and there was some intrigue to that not to mention it was a card game version of this D game that apparently was really cool but my cousin had turned me off of completely and I, uh, I <laughs> chaotic, chaotic, neutral, no, uh, right. <laughs> and so, uh, but I, and I think the last thing to really note is booster packs were three bucks. And in 1993, that's no slouch. Huh. Like you think boosters yeah. are expensive yeah. now. Like they might've been two fifty, but they were never lower than that. Like I have to say. And the, yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's American. Yeah, that's right? American. For yeah, us, that's American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but the 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 starter decks were intriguing. So I was like, "What's a starter deck?" And they said, "Well," and they showed it to me. And it was a little box. Think of like a deck of cards box. And they said, "It's a." Uh, I think it was nine ninety nine. It's ten bucks. And they said, "You get sixty cards. A deck is sixty cards. So it gives you everything you need to play." 
It gives you the lands you need as a starting point. What they didn't explain was it was all five different colors, so it was a very useless deck, to be honest with you, from a strategic mm-hmm. standpoint. And by modern day standards, it's 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 unheard of. But um, yeah, yeah. But and it gave you a rule book, and the rule book was really small. I can't stress this enough. Like think of a deck of cards that was the size <laughs> yeah, of the yeah. rule book. It was the yeah. size of and the rule book. And you are reading yeah. three point font. Like the size of a credit <laughs> yeah. card. Yeah. If 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 if, if if I had known better, I would have used a magnifying glass to read it. Um, and the internet wasn't quite a thing yet, kids, so we couldn't go to the oh, net yeah. and, and look it up. And so you got this little book, but it taught you how to play. And you got three rares, and you got you know X number of uncommons, like 10 or 11, and then you got a bunch of commons. And, and, and it got you started. And so me and my buddy Chris, we were like, okay, cool. 20 bucks, we get two decks, we can learn to play. And I remember studying that rule book so hard um, because there were certain facets. And, and again, for magic players, this will be funny. For non-magic players, this yeah. won't matter. But we didn't know the mana pool drained, which means if you tap your lands for mana, we were keeping track on a pad and paper of how much mana we had. And these cards that everybody was swooning oh, over because they had a low cast cost. Fred. It, yeah. it doesn't just drain. It oh, it burns. burns. Yeah, it deals damage to you. Exactly. Yeah. And wow. so I had missed that. So uh, one of the largest cards in that s- initial set was the Force of Nature. It cost four green mana and two <laughs> colorless. It was hard mm-hmm. to bring out. It was a beast. I think of Swamp Thing. It was Swamp Thing incarnate. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't understand why it was such a big deal. By turn four, I could cast that. I just tapped all three lands on turn three, and turn four, here it comes. No, that was wrong. That was wrong. Nice. I was playing it wrong. Yeah. This is fun. Yeah. But early yeah. magic, when no one's telling you and you're in your buddy's living room just trying to figure it out over a caffeine-free oh, yeah. diet Pepsi, like that's the best <laughs> you came up with. Yeah. And um, oh, and now it's like you need a PhD to resolve the stack. <laughs> no like, kidding. <laughs> like it's insane. No kidding. <laughs> um, but like, oh sorry. Oh sorry, I, I thought someone was going to say something, but like, no, just just to wrap this up. So like that was significant, and 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 it escalates from there. We get our decks. We go down to the local shop. Um, we had already had our affiliations with colors. I remember my buddy Chris wanted to be blue and green. He liked the idea of life and vibrance growing, but he also liked the idea of tricking people. And early blue had some crazy spells. Um, I remember he got a time twister in his um, starter deck. And time twister, whenever it's cast, and it can be cast as early as the third turn based off of its spell... um, It, it literally restarted everything. You took your hand, your graveyard, anything that was dead, and your deck, and you shuffled them all together. Both players did this, and then drew a new hand of seven cards. It, like, reset the game outside of life. And, wow, yep. and, and he loved that, right? He loved that. Like, that was manipulation in a way that I didn't appreciate at the time. <laughs> and yeah. me, of course, I was total, like me like i was black and red just demons and fire and <laughs> and fuck shit up you know like that was Kill my them thing. Dead. yes exactly <laughs> and i loved it i just loved it all and one of my rares was demonic tutor which you had referenced already which was oh, a card yeah. that basically lets you go through your deck pick any one card and put it in your hand which is incredibly powerful would never be allowed today but at the time it was just a normal card um 
Yeah. <clears throat> so good. Right. And so, so we went with these predilections and these complete misunderstandings <laughs> for the rules. Yeah. And and I think this is the secondary part and probably the larger part of magic. You go into the social circle and you realize, uh, to quote Morpheus, how deep the well goes. And you also realize how wrong you were about how this game plays. Oh, yeah. Right. And it's a yep. it's a big period of adjustment. Like it really is. And a, and a positive one, I must say. Um, and I, I think the coolest thing about those first two years of magic was not only because the sets are coming out at a good clip, which we had already discussed, but also the fact that every time you thought you understood magic, some dude would show up with a deck that would completely reorganize <laughs> your inside. concept of reality. Yeah. And there was something to be oh, said yeah. for that. Um, and again, like like I said, I'll let you guys tell your stories, but um, uh, just to be clear, I do think it's relevant for me to just mention for the Magic players out there the realms that I was in. So just to be clear, I started in Unlimited, and I stuck with it all the way through and, and continued to buy packs for sets. And again, I was, a, I was like a preteen, so you got one pack of cards a week tops like a booster um and if i was really lucky i got yeah. like two or three and i did get things like a mox emerald i remember that specifically and a time walk for christmas like <laughs> your parents would buy you hundred dollar cards and look at yeah. you like you were freaking insane um but uh that being said um i stayed through all the way through to i basically got out around ice age so that'll t that'll time me. I was unlimited wow, to ice age. That's fascinating. Yeah. Then I then came. Soup. Oh, sorry. I no. Finish. Finish. Well, then I came yeah, back. You came back. I came right? back mm. because my wife, then girlfriend at the time, was a bartender at Applebee's, and I worked at a nice steakhouse. We were both college kids, and I would go to her bar because. I somehow alcohol appeared whenever I would not pay for it. Anyway, um, don't tell her boss. Anyway, uh, that Applebee's closed. <laughs> anyway, um, so and behind <laughs> because me because of you? No, 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 no. <laughs> Hardly. I didn't drink that much. Um, but uh, and it was tap beer. But uh, behind me, I remember hearing two busboys. And they said, I forgot what they said, but they, they made a reference that you is unmistakably magic. And yeah. I flip around, and there they are playing Magic the Gathering. I said, this is real? And they were two busboys who were in the New Orleans floods who had moved out to Kansas City to start Holy a new life, shit. right? And they were magic players, and they were playing with this new set that had just come out called Ravnica. And it was a big deal. Oh, Ravnica was a great set. You want to talk set. about a set yeah. to come back to. Um, great yeah. set to come back to. Yeah. And then my girlfriend at the time was like, hey, you guys having fun with that over there? My, my boyfriend seems really interested. And they started showing her. And she goes, I'm in. Fucking deal me in. Show me how to play this game. And my wife was into it. To this day, my wife knows how to play Magic. I wouldn't say proficiently, but she knows how to play. So I stuck with Ravnica all the way through to what was the like – it was almost like Japanese type. I, I think there was a Tori as like one of the, the symbols. But anyway – Oh, Kamigawa? I, I know what you mean, but I can't remember. Was it Kamigawa? Yeah, I can't but remember the name of that expansion. There were a bunch of expansions around that time. Let's say yeah. they call them cycles now. There were like one base set and two expansions. I, I was probably three yeah. cycles 
removed from Ravnica and I left again. And that was because I got into the cards. And then just recently with Dominaria, I got back into it. I decided to not go. the. Oh, it's OK. I didn't go the cards this time. I'm actually okay. playing Arena, the digital version, which is kind of like mm. Hearthstone right. with magic. And I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with it. And yeah. that basically starts with a Kismet and or whatever, the, the, the Egyptian one and, and it moves forward. Yeah. But oh, okay. But cool. it, yeah, it probably gives you an idea of my biases um, and my knowledge base. <laughs> Although I did, on a really weird night with a couple of whiskeys, decide to try to memorize every single card that's come out for modern. And I did pretty good. I, I, I familiarized myself with a large number of cards that exist in the magic world right now. And that has a little bit to do with a, I wouldn't call it a photographic memory, but I'm pretty good at memorizing stuff. Um, but I have a pretty good grasp of all the things that have come out, but there are a lot of crazy combinations that exist today to, oh, yeah. to consider yourself to even be knowledgeable about it. And that's assuming you never left magic is still a feat to be reckoned with. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so that's where I'm at. Um, and the only last thing I will mention, uh, just in case it doesn't get mentioned again, or if somebody else wants to involve it is you really got to, as, as, as uh, Stu was talking about, you really got to fall in love with some of the lore that's on the cards and definitely some of the art. And so I have to seriously sit back and pay homage to my favorite artist in Magic the Gathering, which is Kaha Folio. It's probably a popular one. Um, and if you don't know his work or if you want to look up my favorite version of his work, there is a card from the Legends expansion. It's a green card called Eureka. And if you've never seen this, it is a wizard and he's like celebrating a big poof of yellow uh, magic dust, shall we say. And there's a little lizard that's green holding an E equals MC squared formula. Yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 a really magical picture, and uh, and, and and again, all of his art is kind of like that. And Caja Folio was just like I remember when you were opening packs, like paying. Um, and he's not the only one, but paying homage to the various artists that were drawing those cards, and you'd start to get to know them. You'd be like, oh, that's an Amy Weber card. Oh, that's a Caja Folio card, you know, and things like that. And and there was something to be said for that. Um, so I def definitely want to, uh, you know, tip my hat to the various artists that have contributed to Magic over the years. Um, and that's, that's, that's me with Magic. <clears throat> cool. Nice. All right. So, Stu, do you want to jump in? Yeah, it, I I was gonna mention it makes sense that uh, I'm gonna follow that because Fred mentioned he he bowed out initially around the Ice Age, and I think Ice Age and the uh, the phase immediately before were the first cards that I ever played with. Yeah, before Ice Age, it was Fallen Empires. Yeah. So <laughs> and and I I got into it because of uh, um, nerdy neighbors a couple houses down. Uh, they were older, they were cool kids, similar thing. They were into D&D &D and magic and wound up getting into both of them, both of those because of them. Uh, so my, like my first magic games were with their decks with, you know, a bunch of, I was, 
I don't know, grade four or five or something. And these were a bunch of kids going to the local high school. So it was like, you know, the, these are the cool kids to me. And it was, it was great. It was, <laughs> it was crazy fun. So th- yeah, the ice age was the first set that I started playing with, not my own cards, very quickly turned into my own cards. Um, and, uh, I, as quickly as possible, infected all of my friends with the MTG disease. And before you knew it, we were all getting yelled at, uh, much like uh, Fred's friend who couldn't play the black. Uh, We weren't supposed to play any magic because magic as a whole is terrible and evil and all of those things. But, you know, we found a way. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, it was was just fantastic. Um, I... I think in terms of, uh, I, I guess we played for a long time, um, probably through till the end of, um, Masquerade, Artifacts, Masquerade, Onslaught, Onslaught, Mirrodin, Mirrodin block I maybe? Onslaught. Oh, I, wow. think Onsla- I think Onslaught, I think Onslaught was the last one that I did anything with. Um, we were heavy into it for a few years. Uh, I think Invasion and Odyssey blocks were probably the biggest for for the people that I played with most often. And for a while, we actually did once or twice a year uh, get the old crew back together and just do a do a big draft. Uh, Ch- nice. Ch- Chase mentioned the the booster packs, um, and and we've talked a little bit about constructing a deck intentionally. So what a draft is is you go and buy a big ass box of booster packs. So a box has 36 packs in them, and three packs is enough to make a small, really bad deck, playable deck. (laughs) (laughs) So so you get four, five, six people around a table. Everybody takes out three booster packs. Everybody opens up one pack. You take out one card, and you pass the other 14 to your left. And then so you get a new pack of 14 cards. You take out one card, and you pass to the left, and you do that. And you do that with all three packs. And then, oh, and then you yeah. end up with drafts were yeah. So then you end up with forty-five uh, really shitty cards, <laughs> and, you, <laughs> and, you, and you try and make a deck out of them. And so it was just kind of like a nice throwback, a neat way for a bunch, you know, a bunch of old people who are otherwise uh, not staying in contact with each other as much to kind of get together and and drink a lot of beer and <laughs> sit around a table with each other and just shoot the shit. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was really worth it. Um. <laughs> hey, can I ask uh, a quick we, question, though, about drafts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because, sure. um, I, and I don't know if this was the passage of time or just um, negligence. I, I, I really feel like when I tell people stories of, like, the early days of magic, like not knowing the mana pool drained and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like people didn't realize like this, this shit just like hit the scene. Like we didn't, nobody knew, right? Like there wasn't a magic, yeah. the gathering yeah. um, person out there who worked for Richard Garfield and wizards. That was like, let me explain <laughs> how this works. Shit. The first yeah. tournaments, they just sent the card shop, really expensive cards to give away as prizes. And no one paid attention to whether nobody or knew. not. Yeah. The card shop owner could have just kept, them he didn't but he so, totally could have so so the so in in line with that one of my favorites was um when my neighbors started playing thankfully they had this sorted out like i was late enough that a lot of the super early learning curves and bumps and bruises people had sorted out 
So they mentioned, I and I remember them talking about, um, there was an artifact creature, so a colorless creature that, that they could play that they thought was crazy powerful because attacking did not cause this creature to tap. <laughs> I know exactly what <laughs> it was. So do I. I think it was, it was a Yodian soldier Yoshin for soldier. four colorless yes. mana, uh-huh. and it was a 1-4 creature. <laughs> yes, it was. So, so, so the idea was that um, there's an attack phase, and people didn't know this. You, it, as, when it's your turn and you want to attack the other player, you tap your creatures, much like you would uh, your land for resources. So you tap your creatures to indicate that they're attacking, and then the other player declares the blockers. So they set out which creatures they have that they want to block y- the attacker's creatures in whatever order they want. And then that's it. That's the attack. That's the end of it. So, But they didn't know that. <laughs> those rules weren't clear to them yes. so they thought that as long as your opponent didn't have any creatures on the board you could attack and attack and attack and attack and attack and attack and, attack and, attack and, attack and you just you, you yeah 20 times you, you win the game yeah. uh there's uh, real quick there's fantastic a, there's a similar story to that when antiquities came out um artifacts were never really a large part they were they existed in unlimited but they were never a large part antiquities was the second um expansion pack the first one being arabian nights based off of guess what um but Mm -hmm. uh antiquities was artifact based and in fact uh, it's a lot of cards from antiquities i was surprised to see have resurgence you know (laughs) re-emerged now um but one of those cards was called the millstone which would not be allowed nowadays um it was two colorless mana and you paid two colorless mana and the opponent takes the top two cards from their library and puts them directly into their graveyard (laughs) into the graveyard yes (laughs) Well, it was un. I am familiar with that. It was understood in the antiquities supplemental rule set, which, if you want to know how archaic this was, it was not provided in the packs, and there were no starter Mm -hmm. decks for antiquities. It was just booster packs. When you opened a new box, there was a rule set on top, and you were supposed to open that up and Uh, make that available to all players so they could see the new changes. Well, Mm. one of those was that artifacts had activated abilities most artifacts did not have activated abilities in unlimited or if they did they would say tap to blank so like the moxes which are some of the most popular a mox ruby would come out for zero cast cost and it would say tap to add one red mana to your mana pool so it would tell you what to do well antiquities did not do that and one of the rules were an activated ability of an artifact was the equivalent to tapping it but it didn't actually tap it. And I have don't tap Yeah, and I don't know why they did that. There may have been a reason for that or at first they didn't want to I guess confuse artifacts for lands because you would mostly be tapping lands and creatures when you used them. Later on artifacts would become tapped and later versions of the millstone would have two colorless mana and tap to do this because it made more yeah. sense. But at the time it didn't. So all it said was two colorless mana colon which would suggest that every time you paid two colorless mana, you activated this ability. So everybody ran millstone decks with four millstones, and it was just a fucking, like, how fast can you get that out and just just whittle your opponent's deck down? Because if you cannot draw a card, you lose the game. And simple Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And it was just because, and of course, the owner wasn't being a jerk. He had 17 versions of the rule uh, uh, copies of that just sitting behind the counter they were throwing out. Like, he just didn't know. 
Yeah. And um, I remember later on they would post it, like auditions at like Black Swan. You know, it's like, uh, let's see what made the cut. Um, <laughs> but the reason yeah. I bring all that up is because uh, early versions of Draft were actually either a starter deck and two boosters and you made a 40-card deck from it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or you bought six booster packs and the site would provide unlimited mana cards, like land cards, like yeah. commons, because they were super common and cheap. And you would just build your own deck. I like the, and I think this is more consistent with modern day rules. I like the open a pack, pick a card, pass it on. That's great. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, yeah, and, and, and it's neat. It's one of those things, too, where, you know, on by the time the third pack comes around, you're building a, a white-green deck, <laughs> and you open it up, and the rare card that you have is black, yep. and you know you're not going to use it, but you know if you pass that on, some <laughs> son of a bitch is going to kill you with it. Yep, yep. <laughs> so you just have to keep it, and it's... Like I said, magic. It's all about making decisions that you're not sure if they're smart or not. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah, and then people finish the draft, and, and even some people would be keen enough to notice... There's no black. I started building a black and red deck. Nothing black or red good is coming to me. I'm getting like everything white and blue. I'm just I'm yeah, you get the fight, okay. Man. I'm switching. I'm halfway through the first booster, but I'm switching to white and blue. Forget it. And then the end of the draft. Yeah, sure enough, three people making black and red decks, mm -hmm. and they're all shit. Yep. <laughs> and it's just, eh. What do you do? Oh, it's great. It was so dramatic. It was great being oh, yeah. a prepubescent teen going through Magic the Gathering because <laughs> it was so in line with my opinion, yeah. with my like emotions. <laughs> Every game was an emotional roller coaster for yeah. sure. So and 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 I think th there's a lot of community building around that too. And we had we even had um, one one thing that made uh, I don't know a lot of noise in our group was. Um, for, I don't even remember how I had. I think there was a misprint in a box at some point, and a store that I used to go to to look at cards every now and then had a Spanish card. Hmm. But it was a Spanish card. I had three of a card, and I really wanted a fourth one, and never could find it. And I finally found one. It was in fucking Spanish, <laughs> which no none of us knew. But you know, I had the English card, so I picked it up anyway. And I actually built decks around this card. It was a tackle maggot. And the Spanish for tackle maggot is larva pedacita. Yeah. And this turned into this. <laughs> Anytime anyone saw a tackle maggot, that just the room would erupt with larva pedacita. It was just <laughs> wonderful. Everybody fucking hated it. And it made... <laughs> that card's vicious, oh, by the way. Uh, having been around when that first came out. <laughs> Just so good. So well, that was like fun. a big thing was Love the foreign it. cards to, because uh, because yeah. they were they they came out much later. So if you miss legends, you could jump on legends in Spain, and pay a yeah. lot less. And no, I'm not <laughs> kidding. And and I don't know about you guys, yeah. but our rules were you had to have an English version of the card to prove what it was, but then you could play oh, with the yeah, foreign yeah. cards. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, one okay. one set of cards we never got to play much with was the unglued set, <laughs> which I think just does, yeah, deserves a mention. They they 
at some point, Wizards printed a version or a, a small release of cards called the Unglued Set, and it was kind of just... It broke the game. It, almost like joke, hokey cards for the most part. They they weren't really meant to be used, and like they weren't as sanctioned in any of their tournaments or anything. But it had stuff like, uh, you know, like fuck it, flip a coin, whoever wins wins the game, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I loved unglue. <laughs> or, or like t- tap this for a bunch of mana and then rip the card into four pieces and eat the card. There were uh, there yeah. were there were great cards that made fun of stuff. Um, uh, and and actually there was there were some inside jokes. I don't know if you guys caught these because you may not have been been playing early enough but there was a card early on called chaos orb it was in unlimited and you basically held the card above the playing field uh more than two inches and you just dropped it and it had to do a 360 rotation in the air and whatever it touched got destroyed well there was an old joke before they banned it from tournaments was a guy brought a chaos orb and when he cast it he said, there's no rules against this. And he cut it into small pieces and he blew the confetti Scattered. on the board <laughs> and destroyed yeah. a guy's entire map. So there was a yeah. there was an unglued card called Chaos Confetti where you literally were instructed to do that. And you just tore everything up and then you you <laughs> you blew them. But like, here's the, the phrasing. It's, it's ridiculous. It says, tear up Chaos Confetti, throw the pieces onto the playing area from a distance of at least five feet. <laughs> and destroy each card in play that a piece touches. Um, and yeah. and the, the, the flavor text is, and you thought it was just an urban legend. And again, <laughs> it might have been an urban legend because I never actually saw someone do this. But like these these cards... Doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah these cards were jokes on that. Like they, they made fun of that fact and I loved it. So... Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Unglued was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm looking at some of them right mm-hmm. now. The BFM being the best. Like, it's two oh, cards man. and it's They're, like yeah, twenty black. <laughs> it's anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a monster. It's, it's yeah. a big furry monster. It's two yeah. cards yeah. wide. <laughs> yeah, um, I love it. Uh, the jester's sombrero oh, yeah. was also a good touch. <laughs> that was an ice age card. The jester's cap. It was um, making fun of, but yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, Stu, did you want to add anything else before I uh, I, I give it a uh, go? Hopefully, I'll find a way to fit stuff in organically. We'll see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> go ahead. Okay. So, um, right. Uh, just trying to think where to start. Okay. So, we had... Um, I lived in rural Ontario, so like uh, about as country as Ontario gets... Um, so like lots of farms, rolling hills, all that stuff had to drive about 20 minutes to get to a bigger town, had to drive about 45 minutes to get to a city of any kind. Um, so we had a bookstore in a nearby town, the one that took 20 minutes to drive to, and it had comics and it started stocking, um, magic cards. And I might add werewolf cards um so we weren't allowed to buy the werewolf cards because they were um 
well, I don't know. I never actually played Werewolf, so I don't know 100% what was wrong with them, but uh, they looked a little too violent on the box, so we were never allowed to mm-hmm. touch them. Um, but, like, uh, we saw Magic one time. Uh, my One of my friends was big into comics, and the Wizard magazine, uh, which was very much about uh, what was going on in comics, had a lot of advertisements for Magic in it at the time. And this is about 94, 95. Um, and suddenly, like, I, my mom liked to shop at dollar stores and stuff a lot. We started seeing a lot of fallen empires boosters in dollar stores so if i had my own money with me and i would have been like 11 uh maybe 12 at the time um i would throw you know a couple dollars at it and uh pick up a a fallen empires booster and um we we kept getting magic cards and eventually what we did one of the things that sealed the deal was there was also a comic book that ran um with fallen empires cards in it um, so we picked up the Fallen Empires uh, comic, and so we had all these magic cards, but we had no land, and we had no <laughs> rules, and we had no idea how to play. <laughs> so eventually we went into the uh, the bookstore, my brother and I, uh, with, with my mom, and we started talking to the guy, and he's like, well, yeah, you know, I've, I've played a little bit of it. Um, I'm starting to stock this stuff. And he said, if you want to know how to play, the rules are in the starter deck. So we bought, like, a, a, this was before the Ice Age starter deck. If anybody ever saw the Ice Age starter deck, it was a nice sort of blue frosty box of cards. Whereas the original, or the the starter deck at the time when we were starting was just like a, an image of the, the magic card back which was like the the five colors. And um, so we, we bought one of those, and then um, we both tried to read through the super Bible-thin, like, teeny-tiny uh, rule book. And uh, from there, we just started we started going. We got a few of our friends into it. I remember my, my brother's friend, Andrew, uh, got really interested in it, and we, we started playing at his, his house. Um, and it was just like a slow process of starting to learn how to play. Um, and other people started playing as well, independently of us. And so what happened is we, we sort of honed ourselves against each other. And then we took it to the schoolyard. Um, and th- this is where like things start to get a little interesting and stuff like anti got discussed and people would trade cards and we'd all play outside on the asphalt and you'd like tap your card and just scratch the <laughs> shit out of the pack. Um, and um, that's where you could start doing other devious stuff that you shouldn't do. Like you could recognize uh, which cards were which if you had scratched uh, them up the right way. Oh, um, you guys didn't have screen cheater. No, we didn't have sleeves. Everybody just played out on the asphalt, no sleeves. We I, played with rural sleeves. Ontario. Where were we? I grew up they, in rural they, like, I was in rural Ontario. We had sleeves because we were grown up. They forced sleeves on us early yeah, we, on. We were not grown up because we they kids. had cheaters really no, early on. No. Oh yeah. Well, we were we were a bunch of country Touché. yokels. We didn't realize people were cheating until it was too late. <laughs> um, so. Like, he's the uh, only cheater in the group. <laughs> I always joke. I always joke that uh, Magic was like the only card game that ever made me cry, and it's because one of the schoolyard games that I played, um, I had like a a red a red white angel, um, 
and I got beat. And the person who beat me called that as his auntie and took it. Um, Real quick, yeah, and mention that, like, auntie because we've not talked about it till this point. Mm-hmm. Okay, auntie was a uh, auntie was sort of like um, I mean, if you think about any other card game, and I'm talking about like regular card games, so like uh, poker, uh, even even euchre, <laughs> uh, you know, um, just uh, there's the option to gamble now built into magic early on was the option to gamble cards. Um, so the, the emphasis behind playing and being competitive and trying to be the best at the game was that each game was worth a card and you would pick that card at the beginning of the game usually. Um, and then you would respect the results of the game and that would be that. Now, so, how did you, did you guys determine um, the anti, the old fashioned way was your opponent would cut your deck, flip over the top card and that was the anti. Yes, and I think that's how we did it, but I'm going to be honest, things that's get fair. a little foggy. I was just curious. Um, all I know is, like, yeah, all, all I remember is, like, the, the I stopped playing Ante after after this because it was fucking embarrassing. I was, like, grade 5 or grade 6, crying in the schoolyard because some dude had, had basically won, fairly, uh, my angel. But imagine um, that today, like, but, parents uh, would lose their shit. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I like, and I mean, like I sucked it up. I accepted it, and I moved on. But um, at the time, it sucked. It sucked. But uh, what's funny is we never really stopped playing. So we played well into. Um, we would have like off and on. Um, but we we played well into um, high school. Like I, I played even into uh, into university. Like I just never stopped. Um, so then, uh, some weird things that came out, like number one, uh, you talked about the mana pool draining. It took us, I think three or four years of playing to discover that, like we understood the mana pool drained, but we didn't understand if you had too much mana in it burned and could kill you. So any mana, like any, any resources that you used that were still floating at the end, how, you know, how you suggested they would drain out and they would just disappear. They don't just disappear and poof, like they would actually damage you. So you would, you would be hurting yourself for doing it. Um, and that was something like, imagine you're playing this game for this long and it takes you like years to even figure out that that's, that's something that happened. Like it was always another layer, uh, to the game that, that would, that would come up. Um, and, uh, it's a good thing that Stu talked about drafts because drafting became a really big part of what we did. I had a, we had a friend, well, we, I had, I had a friend called Ryan, um, Ryan Williams. He was like a really, really, um, really, really good friend growing up. I still talk to him today and I, I expect he still plays magic today. Um, he told me he still has his zombie deck, which was like the antithesis. <laughs> like I, I always, I built decks to try and take that thing down. Um, he was really, really sharp and always good at making decks. Um, and, uh, we would play at Ryan's all the time, but we would draft at Ryan's specifically. We started, we started doing drafts and, um, it was just such an interesting experience to like, uh, when I, what was it? Uh, we, we actually mentioned it. Mirrodin, when Mirrodin came out. When that expansion came out, it was an artifact, like almost exclusively artifact uh, expansion. Um, and one of our first exposures to Mirrodin was we just decided we wouldn't touch the cards until we played our first draft. So we all drafted it together. Um, 
And here's where things get a little weird, because it was either Mirrodin or its first expansion, which was uh, Darksteel, uh, which was like the, the the part of the cycle that came after the original Mirrodin launch. Um, we played a game, we played a draft, and how the draft worked is you would all open the cards, you would be able to keep the commons and uncommons that you got, but the rares were the goal. And uh, whoever won, like the... the, the uh, the tiers of winning. So if you were first, you got first pick at the rares. If you're second, you got second pick, third pick, fourth pick. So, and there there would always be like X number of rares, but you basically you got the pick of the best if you won. Um, and that's how we would play. Uh, that's how we would play our uh, our drafts. So we would actually be drafting for cards that we wanted, on top of drafting to win. Um, which made for a very interesting experience. Um, and it, it was like kind of strategic, <laughs> but also like kind of selfish. But one of the weirdest things that happened in one of our drafts is um, somebody pocketed a rare. And it's like, it's like six to eight dudes who know each other and play each other all the time. But somebody pocketed one of the rares. And, like, thinking about it now, I'm just like, how shitty and sad is that? Like, as an adult man, I'm just like, why? (laughs) At the time, like, we were all, like, pissed off. But, like, it it wasn't that it was an expensive card. Like, nothing that came out of Myrmidon or um, uh, Darksteel was, like, hundreds and hundreds of dollars, especially at release. But, um... Yeah, it happened. Again, I saw someone and, bronze uh, tablet a time walk and and, <laughs> and yes, and just so people want to yeah. know what that is, yeah. time walk was from unlimited. It was one of the strongest cards. It was like immediately banned once tournament play started yeah. uh, because it allowed you to take an extra turn after this one and it was only two mana so you could play it on the second turn. Um, and bronze tablet was if you were playing for anti, it was an artifact that came out and you tapped it and you swapped it with any card in your opponent's deck and you got to go through your opponent's deck and pick it and it had nothing to do with the ante in fact you just that was the transaction was i had i had two bronze tablets yeah um but i'd never used them because uh yeah because wow oh it was great it only happened to one guy i remember eric Oh, poor Mets. We nicknamed him Mets. I don't even know why. He just had a nickname. Everybody had a nickname in the 90s. And oh, he oh lost man. his time walk. And then he wanted. He offered wow. to play anyone for Ante. And we knew he had the tablet. We wouldn't play him. We wouldn't touch yeah. him. We would play That's him it. for fun, but not for Ante. Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, like, Ryan's house became this weird sort of haven for magic and it it almost became like a little bit of a funny joke for his dad um because like uh people could get pretty heated (laughs) playing magic especially when you're an adolescent and ryan in particular was uh a little volatile uh with his emotions um especially when i would design decks to try and beat (laughs) him so one time i made uh and like i'm we're talking about like years of libraries mm. built oh, yeah. for magic cards right um so one time i built a blue red deck so uh, i called it splash and burn um and 
all it did was counter, reverse, scorch, and destroy. And that's all it did. Um, so, <laughs> uh, not like not really a winning deck, but an incredible interference and pestering deck. And we played in a group game, so it was actually <laughs> four people playing. And all I did was either kill everything that, that uh, Ryan put out or counter it or destroy his lands. <laughs> so basically crippling him. like, mm -hmm. And he got so mad that he threw his deck at me. <laughs> like picked up his deck and threw it at my head. And then um, his dad, I remember his dad would always walk in after that and he'd be like, oh, just another friendly game, guys, right? Because <laughs> like, he, he like screamed when he did it. But, like, it was always just so funny. Um, like, tempers would get mm -hmm. hot, and we would always just, like, <laughs> you you would get, you'd get kind of nasty. Like, nerdy yeah. nasty, you know? Oh, um, I don't know. I would but, say uh, hateful in... words. <laughs> I, won't, I won't deny it. Yeah. Um, Mums were mentioned. Uh -huh. but, but, like, when when you think about what you took away from, from, uh, from Magic, so, like, uh, the, the basic strategies that, like, grow over time, like, that, that that's a big deal. Um, the, the fact that, think about it, all three of us either relied on a community to help train us how to play or taught ourselves, right? And the stuff that we didn't get right eventually got corrected through, through social interaction. And that is awesome awesome like that's a really really cool feature of what this became and what this was and what this is today i mean it's a lot easier today because there's so many people dedicated and obsessed with the game but um like at the time especially when when things were just getting rolling um like those first few years it was really sort of reliant on um just engaging with the the, the people in the community to to grow or just playing with your friends and uh working on your interpretation of that that goddamn teeny tiny <laughs> rule book um and it's just uh yeah, it's it's really interesting because this game doesn't stop growing. The libraries continue to expand. Um, if you play in an unrestricted environment, you can, like, infinite, infinite possibility oh, yeah. for what your decks yeah. look like. Like, you almost have to put restraints on yourself now and limit yourself to certain certain expansions or certain time periods uh, if, if you... Um, if you want to have any semblance of reason or any way of ex anticipating yeah. what somebody might bring yeah. to the table. Um, but like this, this game also taught me things like synergy uh, when you can make theme decks. Like uh, I said, Ryan had a zombie deck. He had a, a deck that literally built upon itself and improved itself because it focused on uh, single creature types and single color types. Um, I ended up building uh, a black-white cleric deck that was very, very... Uh, for me, I thought it was competitive until I, I fought my friend Jamie, who, again, as we all discussed, uh, you would encounter someone who would just completely alter your wor worldview once you got into sort of a competitive scene and just completely make you question how you were playing the game and what it could do. Um, and I think he he used some some like tactic with the world gorger, which was this nightmare, which is a type of card that when you bring it out, it can remove things mm -hmm. from the game. But the world gorger removes every permanent from yeah. the game, and he basically used that to win the game in I think like ten turns. 
um, which isn't a big feat, but like 10 turns when I was rolling hard and fast with like some big nasty creatures. Um, and he just shut it down completely. Um, yeah, I, like I said, there, there was, uh, it's kind of surprising to me early on how focused with, uh, speed some of these decks were. Um, I ran a really brutal bruised control deck. We call it bruised because it was black and blue. Um, Mm. and, uh, and, and I was, (laughs) I was just vicious. I somehow managed to get four Juzam Jins, which are, uh, from the, uh, Arabian Nights set again wouldn't be allowed today but they were two black two mm-hmm. colorless five five and their only setback was they would do one point of damage to you during your upkeep and there yeah. was a spell called dark, called dark ritual which cost one black mana and gave you three black mana oh, so so, good. so good. yeah like so ritual. if you played the right kind of deck you were countering everything that walked out onto the field and with the help of my Mox Sapphire, my Mox Jet, a couple of dual lands and things like that, a Juzam Jin in my deck, which had four of them, uh, and I did have Ancestral Recall, which allowed me to, for one blue mana, draw three cards uh, at, at any time. It was nice. an instant. You could do it at any time. Yeah. With all that together, you were able to mill, basically, to make sure that that sucker was out by turn two or three. And I probably had a couple of them by turn four. And it's just, I mean, you only have 20 life. He does five. (laughs) He's bigger than everything that's (laughs) coming out in the first few turns. Like it was just, it was just relentless. And once he was out, I could counter things at will because I didn't care if anything else came out. In fact, I didn't want things to come out. And, um, And then to boot, Blue kind of strayed from this for a while because it wasn't a very fun deck to play against, as you might imagine. Um, Blue had two really mean cards from that era. One was called Clone. He was a fourth turn character. He was three (laughs) colorless, one blue. When he came out, he became any card on on the field. And then there was the Vesuvian Doppelganger, which was just one more, and it could change every turn what it was. And so, and I never remember if Magic had ever made a ruling on this, but what we basically did was we would clone Doppelgangers. So then you just had a cascade of eight things that could become anything every turn. And you've got these big, heavy Juzam Jins just swinging left and right. Filling through. And then my deck was basically stacked after that with like things that would either Demonic Tutor to grab stuff, kill things, which was terror. It would just kill anything on the board. Or counter spells, and then eventually you could take over creatures. There was like enchant creature where you just, you're mine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to take your guy instead yeah. of cloning him or I'll take him. Then I'll clone him and then I'll beat you to death with him. And so um, <laughs> it got fast and, and kind of brutal. And, and I, I guess what I can say is around fallen empires, which uh, kudos to you for getting into it at fallen empires, because in the grand scheme of magic, that is probably categorically one of the worst, if not the worst sets that <laughs> ever existed. <laughs> but also true true because you said there were uh, 15 cards per pack and 36 cards a box fallen empires broke that there were only nine cards a pack and there were 60 uh packs Mm. per box for fallen empires it was there were a couple sets like that antiquities Mm -hmm. and arabian nights were like that as well uh arabian nights was i don't remember if antiquities was but anyway um uh but uh uh 
you learned as early as Fallen Empires, or I think it was really The Dark, which was the expansion right before that, where you started to see wizards come out and say, these cards are banned. Chaos Orb was banned. Demonic Tutor was banned. Yeah. Um, uh, Time Walk was banned. They started to say, no, these cards were way too powerful and we didn't adjust yeah. for them when we brought them when we brought out future cards and um it was pretty impressive because immediately my deck went from aces to there's nothing playable in it anymore yeah and yeah. um and 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 i think it was a good thing because it made me think differently when you're a teenager if you're gonna win you're kind of cool just being that shithead but like that doesn't make for a very fun game <laughs> You know what I mean? And I didn't win every time, but like the 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 deck was stacked stacked in my favor. Yeah. Um and and I yeah. think the biggest thing that I wanted to bring out of all this was money. Uh, I think magic was one of the first times I learned that <laughs> capitalism, yay, uh, because money was the root of it all, right? <laughs> like, sure, everybody wanted yeah. a deck with four Juzams, with a Mox, a Lotus and things like that, but you needed money to get it. And it was uh, my deck was 500 bucks easy back then. Nowadays, it was probably priceless. But like, like, you know, like it, it really set people aside. You couldn't just walk into Magic and have four Juzam Jins unless you were ready to drop 50 bucks a card. And I got lucky. I pulled them in packs yeah. and traded for them when they were valueless. But um, <laughs> and again, it's it starts to you start to see early on the value in keeping things standardized and cycling sets out and stuff like that because even to this yeah. day, magic is a financial sink. Like it's 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 then, daunting. I think I think part of that was why like we always for the most part um, the people that I played with we were like fully unrestricted. Um, we would construct decks out of whatever we had. So that meant that, yeah, Demonic Tutor, like you mentioned, was restricted or at some point. I think it was point. restricted, eventually but, banned, um, yeah. Restricted and then banned? Whereas, like, I had a deck that had four Demonic Tutors <laughs> and four Diabolic Tutors, which were the same yes. card, but oh, for one more mana. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Which, go. you know, goes in line really well with those four Taco Maggots, as previously yes. mentioned. Um <laughs> So that, like that, that kind of stuff made its way through with us, um, and it was all kind of okay. Nobody had crazy stuff. Uh, we did, at some point, it's worth mentioning. Um, we played around with a couple online tools that just had the category of all the magic cards, and you could make anything like without that yeah, financial that restriction. Nice. And then you had decks that just didn't make didn't make sense, but. Um, like there was a a deck where you th there were maybe eight or twelve enchantments in it, and then just forests and swamps, and you could discard forests to gain life and swamps to make your opponent lose life, and then they would go to your graveyard. But you could play an unlimited number of lands from your graveyard as if they were in your hand. So you just <laughs> like by turn three you had these enchantments on the ground, and then you just like cycle your deck and it's an unlimited life pool like it was just weird so the unrestricted thing worked for us because we were kids with very little money <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. just yeah. it could have gone anywhere you know? well and i should point out like 
when yeah when you when we became teenagers what was really interesting and we like had jobs and had access to money that's when some of the craziest decks actually yeah. came out because people would go and buy the cards yeah. that they wanted to make the decks that they yes. had always yeah. dreamed of and we did that yeah right and like then then you would get into those situations where people didn't want to play that deck certain other people's yeah. decks it's like no i'm not no like uh, my brother's sliver oh, deck yeah. oh, was slivers. off slivers the chain slivers are <laughs> was awesome. just crazy right so, so it's like it's a five color deck and every Nothing time you matters. put out a creature it makes every other creature yeah. better right and like he had every kind of sliver so it was yeah. mental like it was so crazy well, Yep. And and I should um, point out with that money, like you learned early on how quick it was the funniest thing because at 17, I knew what it felt like to be antiquated to um, magic had gotten <laughs> yeah, to a point yes. where I uh, even as early as Ice Age, I, I didn't understand what force of the will was force of the will allowed you to basically discard a card to counter any spell for free. And I didn't see the value in that. And I didn't collect it. You know, I was always behind the curve. I didn't see the value in dual lands. Those have existed since the first set. And I didn't know why they mattered. Um, Dual lands are just lands that give you one of any two types of mana. Um, But I did learn the money aspect to it. So one of the interesting things that happened with me um, was I ended up selling off decks similar to the ones I just told you about for, like, gaming. I got back into gaming. I remember trading off a deck to get um, a PlayStation with Resident Evil. Nice, for sure. So, yeah, yeah, right? So, fuck magic. Like, I I don't need it. Um, (laughs) And and the other thing that was interesting was, uh, again, I was antiquated, right? I didn't, I couldn't financially keep up with ice age and things like that i just couldn't do it and then right after ice age came chronicles and it was crazy they're reprinting the cards i have and making them valueless what are you doing magic yeah you just made my cards not worth much and i remember hating chronicles whereas it was justifiably an amazing thing for most people because they got their hands on it who has the balls to reprint all of the most valued cards, right? Like, and magic does this continually. And so I remember getting out quick, uh, but Microprose in 97 released a PC game of magic, the gathering. Yeah. And it, yeah. And it, and it's awesome. I still have it. I can send it to you because they've updated it to work on windows 10. It's amazing. Um, Oh shit. I didn't know that. But it has uh, the unlimited set, Antiquities, Arabian Nights, and Legends. Wow, weird. The very sets I grew up with. I can get behind this. And so I did that thing. Like, right, I sold all my magic cards off pretty much. And I grabbed my PlayStation. I grabbed my Microprose game and sat in the corner. And it has an amazing RPG, by the way, uh, where you start with like a (laughs) bare bones deck and you fight random people in like a isometric world. And build up awesome yeah, decks. It's bizarre, eh? Yeah, it's it, it it's it's called like Chandelar, I think, uh, and it's yeah. it's it's great. But like, it, I think that was the most interesting thing was like, it, it was just weird for me to realize. And I said seventeen; it was way before seventeen. Ninety-seven, I was <laughs> fifteen. So in four short years, I got to see what it was like to be surrounded by money 
uh, and I don't mean having it, but like where money was the ultimate monkey to my deck building skills, abandoning all hope because I couldn't keep up and like becoming a hermit and getting the digital video game version, which is kind of what I've done today. And so it's an interesting <laughs> thing with yeah. all that. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Stu, did you have any parting thoughts on, uh, on magic? Cause I think we're starting to wind down. Um, I guess there was a lot to learn, not just in terms of like deck building was a thing, but like you mentioned, those those really good decks. I, I can definitely think of a few decks that I made and friends made that people just didn't want to play against. And it turned into, there, there were social aspects to, okay, I've, I had this idea, I did this proof of concept, <laughs> I like destroyed everybody with this really shitty thing that people never want to see ever again. Uh, it's time to put it away because I don't want to get beat up, and and yes, <laughs> there there the were elements of that, and there are also the the dynamics always changed with uh, we did one v ones, but we also did a bunch of uh, Etten games, so two people sharing the same health pool, or we did free for alls where you have like four or five people sitting around a table all trying to beat the shit out of each other, and it was it was. Very yeah, the free for all very crazy, very, very crazy, very different, and uh, yeah, there were interesting elements to those as well, and and again, social dynamics played a role in all of those, and your deck building abilities would change drastically, and and the kinds of things that were viable or fun would be very very different game by game. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, that sort of touches on a lot of what I took away from, from Magic as well. Um, I, I brought up Ryan. Um, having somebody like Ryan in my life while I was so deep into Magic, um, like, it pushed me to become better at the game, which was interesting. Like, playing with your friends, uh, especially if you had a friend who was, like, uh, just a little bit better or maybe had access to a little bit better cards... Um, I mean, I would argue that Ryan was both like, he was very, very talented at making, at making decks, but he also had the resources to get the stuff that he wanted. Um, like it just, it, it motivated me to keep trying to get better, uh, which is a good feeling. And so then when I would actually win against Ryan, like that also felt good, even though it could have just been luck, <laughs> right? There was definitely skill in magic, but luck was also a contributing factor in terms of, uh, luck of the draw. Um, but more importantly, another thing that I learned was that power gaming, which is the the uh, the winning at at all costs sort of mentality, and the not giving giving a crap what your your opponent's bringing to the table, you're just gonna decimate them, didn't make you friends, and it didn't keep friends, and it made it so that your your actual gaming experience was more isolating than integrating right like mm -hmm. um i can think about some uh, because there was this whole system that got created uh late 90s early 2000s where you could like register to actually be part of the tournament scene and i took the time to do it and i got involved with it and when i went to university i played a f in a few tournaments and some of the decks that would show up not during the drafts or anything but um just like that people had made um 
that you would just sit down against were sliver decks absurd <laughs> yeah just a well yeah basically sliver deck yeah were just absurd just absolutely just absolutely um off the chain right when you when you took the restrictions away um they they would just destroy you so quick that it wasn't even fun um and uh yeah that that was a bit of a learning process too like i was never the one dealing those smackdowns but like when you receive them it felt almost like <laughs> almost criminal <laughs> um but uh maybe that was just a weakness in myself i got uh, it i don't know um <laughs> uh that said i think i think Maybe what we'll do is uh, we're we're starting to run a bit long for us, so I'm thinking we will get to um, what we learned or what you can teach us. Uh, we've got an email from uh, our good friend Los, but then I think maybe we'll sort of cut it off there and we'll say our our shoutouts and our goodbyes. So won't dip into what we've been playing if that's all right with everybody. Fair enough. Cool with me. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, just just because uh, it's yeah. actually it's a it's a weekday. <laughs> it's it's an hour later for us than it is for you. I don't know what sleep um, is. Don't worry about for it. For you, Fred. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I respect you for that. Um, but yeah, so um, I'm gonna jump into what you can teach us, and here is a wonderful little email from uh, from Los from the Future Monkeys, uh, and he says the following: Hey, peeps. I know you <laughs> I know you opened this email totally expecting a grand story of triumph and love for Magic the Gathering and how it shaped the person I am to get today but I can't give you that I never touched the damn thing. <laughs> Oops. Sorry, darn thing. Yeah, I just wanted to send you an email and say hi. Hello. Signed sincerely Los. PS for the record, I did I once did have an interest in the game but I never had the will to seek it out and learn. So I look forward to the show and hearing about it. Well, Los, if you're still here, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the lesson and the crash course in, uh, in magic, the gathering. So that's all we, uh, that's all we had for emails. Uh, we tried to get people interested and see if anybody was going to write in. But what's interesting about magic, the gathering is like the people who have played it, like really love it. And it's a, it's a really defining sort of, experience for them but it, it it's still i mean it's popular but it's still kind of a french hobby mm. right um so even though i feel like i'm surrounded by a lot of people who used to play it um not everybody is interested in writing into a podcast <laughs> about it yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the the people that i reached out to just basically said that they're their their interactions with it were i either limited or just not as deep as they th- thought it should be to warrant any attention or like it was it was it's kind kind of interesting to see those responses hmm <laughs> well there yeah. you go. i mean for what it's worth i had a hell of an um, email planned and then you guys were crazy enough to let me on so um there's that Hey, I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, and like, uh, yeah, thank you for being on. Um, so yeah, I think we're just gonna shift into into closing up. So um, I'm gonna thank 
the audience. Thank you, audience, for taking the time to yeah. listen. Uh, and hopefully you have enjoyed learning about uh, how, how we learned all about Magic the Gathering. Um, so, Fred, you're the guest. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug as we close this? Oh, uh, just real quick. Uh, I do a website and uh, several podcasts uh, under uh, GamingHistory101.com. And uh, on our most recent episode, we did kind of a pre-E3 thing with none other than uh, Chase. So if you want to hear him, That's if you true. want to hear him having a long-winded three-hour discussion about the state of video games in 2018, I highly recommend it. Because we kind of focused That's on that a lot more than E3, I noticed. <laughs> yeah, it was weird how it, how it yeah. went in that direction. But I, it was it was the questions. They just sort of led to that. I don't know if you realize it. Oh, I time. did. Yeah, no, it was great. It was exactly what I wanted. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. uh, it's it's a great discussion about the state of games, uh, and a lot less of like, oh well, I think this is going to be there. So, anyway, if you're interested, I, I definitely recommend people checking it out. Even though uh, obviously three hours is a very long episode. <laughs> well, there's a lot of other really good podcasts that are under three hours that are also available True. on that site. <laughs> <laughs> so worth a check if you've never been to uh gaming history 101 definitely give it give it a look uh was there anything else nope, you wanted I to plug I'm fred <laughs> okay Stu, what do you got do you got anything you want to you want to promote today promote wise i uh, no i i don't think i have anything uh out of the ordinary um yeah <laughs> okay. just the uh rubbish i talked about earlier there will be links for those um okay yeah and yeah. we'll make sure that they're included in the show notes and also uh for anybody who's super lazy there will also be a link to gaming Yay. history yeah, 101 yeah, for sure uh, in the show notes um yeah uh also uh so I'm, I'm gonna do a couple of plugs um so we talked about keith courage uh Stu, do you remember <laughs> me talking about keith courage um, we talked about Keith Courage uh, a couple of episodes ago, and um, I I said I couldn't find Fred's uh, <laughs> Fred's episode on uh, on Keith Courage on his uh, YouTube. Well, Fred gave it to me because it exists. Um, so we're I'm I'm gonna put that in the show notes too, so you can check that out. So if you ever want to know about Keith Courage, and I don't even remember the full name zones. of that game. Um, there you go in alpha zones uh definitely check that out because it's actually really informal and it explains why the game is so strange um and seems like really distorted and out of place uh and it's really just because they didn't have the licensing for the enemy that it was based off of um so yeah uh other than that i want to thank our illustrator joe gottley thank you for giving us some very nice images and our logo i want to thank uh dimitri for giving us a memorable and <laughs> very handy uh opening and exiting uh jingle uh, i want to thank you fred for being on and uh, for sharing your experiences with Magic the Gathering and your opinions on everything. You are our first guest, and uh, it's been a pretty well, solid show. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you so much. And, Stu, I want to thank you for, for hanging in there and for all of the stress that uh, mixing this <laughs> is going to put you through Oh, later. no, this will be fine. Uh, um, 
Yeah. So yeah, thank you so much. So uh, if you want to know more about Learn From Gaming podcast, uh, we're on social media. We've got Twitter. We've got Facebook. Uh, just look for Learn From Gaming podcast, and you'll find us. Um, we also have a website, which is www.learnfromgaming.com, and I always screw that up. Um, now without stock photos. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, no more stock photos. We took those out after I got got made fun of. Um, we might get some new art assets on there at some point. Yeah. You never know. Uh, also, uh, we're on iTunes and uh, any any Google based outlet. Uh, you can you can just uh, talk to your Google assistant and they'll play us. It's kind of fun. Um, so yeah, thanks again everybody for joining us and tune back in again soon. Yeah!